It is so good. Oh. Y'all, it is so good to see you all here on this beautiful Florida spring morning. Um, so on Thursday, I had to have a little uh, dental procedure, a gum graft. And so you'll hear me lisp a little bit because my lip is still a little swollen from that. Um, but it, it'll be, I think you can still understand me. If you can't, just raise your hand and I'll um, call Chris up here <laughs> to finish. I'm not supposed to laugh either, but... Um. Anyway, um, there is something about March. Anybody here been watching some March Madness the last little bit? Um, Yes, um, I did also. We'll talk about that later. Um, There's something about March, March Madness, that has me reading articles about Dean Smith every single night before I go to bed. For those of you who don't know, Dean Smith was the greatest basketball coach to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, hey, who did that? That was ugly. He coached at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, go Tar Heels. It was, yes, it was a rough Friday night, but um, I, I still love my boys. Um, but Coach, Coach Smith was not only one of the winningest coaches in the history of the sport, but he was also an incredible person. He was legendary on campus, not only for his stellar coaching career, but he stood up against Jim Crow laws that were firmly implanted in the school when he began his career. He recruited Charlie Scott, the first African-American student to play basketball at Carolina, and he received death threats and threats to his job for doing so. But he knew it was the right thing to do, and so he he kept going. He integrated what he believed that all people were loved and created the same. He integrated it into everything he did, not just on the court, but outside of the court. He's known for taking his players to, the death, to visit uh, prisoners on death row in North Carolina and in Louisiana. Um, when I was at Carolina, it was a well-known fact that our school was very much influenced um, by his way of coaching and leading. It became known as the Carolina way. He insisted that when you hit a shot, you point it at the person who passed it to you. It's called thank the passer. Um, And it it became a part of the heartbeat of Carolina. When something went well, you pointed to somebody who helped you get there. In March of 2009, I was in the Dean Dome when the 1982 National Championship team was honored. And everyone in the Dean Dome knew that it was probably the last time we'd see Coach Smith on the basketball court. His health was declining. He had dementia and was forgetting a lot. Um, We all knew that it was the last time we'd see him on that court. And I remember crying as every person in the stands, he was introduced at the Duke game, and every single person in the stands was on their feet cheering for him. Um, Everyone stood and clapped. Michael Jordan even kissed him on the head. That's when I really cried, (laughs) y'all. Isn't that so sweet? Um, Coach Smith was hated by many on the court. I'm not going to pretend like he wasn't. He had this play early on in his career called Four Corners, where when he got ahead, he would spread his team out, and they would just pass the ball around because there wasn't a shot clock yet. It was invented to shut that play down. Um, People said it was the closest thing to cheating they'd ever seen, Um, and it was. (laughs) But UNC answered to the shot clock by being the best fast break team ever. Um, Anyway, I'll stay on topic here. (laughs) I love basketball, y'all. But when Coach Smith died, people remembered that he was a great coach. But what they really remembered about him is that he always stood up for what was right, even when it wasn't going to help him professionally or personally. People knew his heart. 
And that's why even if they hated him on the court, they loved him off the court. As his health started to decline at the end, he didn't really know the names of his players or a lot about basketball, but there's a, there's a famous story that they, there was one of his players would go in and play the guitar, and he would sing the alma mater. We sing it at the end of every single game, win or lose. We sang the Carolina alma mater, and Dean Smith still couldn't remember anything else, but he remembered every word to that song. And reading all of these stories about Coach Dean Smith made me realize that at the end of our lives, People are going to talk about our hearts. When everything else is gone, when our minds, our bodies, ourselves, when, when it's all gone, people will remember our hearts. That's what they're going to remember about us. It was widely known on campus what church Coach Dean Smith went to. He didn't hide that his faith influenced his heart. He loved Jesus, and he loved Carolina, and he loved basketball. That's probably why I love him so much, because my heart's very similar. Jesus, Carolina, and basketball. But seriously, it made me really think about my own heart this week when I read those stories. Like, more than what I do every day, what will people know that I cared about? What will people say about my heart? What am I willing to risk everything in my life for, professionally and personally? Where's your heart this morning? What does it really, really care about? And this question's important because it gets at those things that actually give us significance and meaning as we live this journey. We've been talking a lot about a journey the last few weeks, a journey with Jesus. We're all on this journey of life, but how do we find significance and purpose on this life journey? And this, this morning we're going to talk about our hearts. Like, how does following in the footsteps of Jesus give our journey significance and meaning, and what does it do to our hearts? When all else is gone, when everything else around you is gone, what will people say that you cared about? What is your heartbeat about? And what's the heartbeat of Horizon? See, this is the thing. Jesus knew that when all else was gone, people were going to remember our hearts. Think about the people that you know and love. What makes their heart skip a beat? What do they get excited about? What do they care about? What makes your heart skip a beat? When all else is gone, when your memory's gone, your physical abilities are gone, your body's gone, what song is your heart going to sing? Today. Today is when we make those decisions about what our hearts will tell the world. Um, Jesus had a story where people who um, thought that their hearts were doing the right thing but still weren't getting everything they wanted to out of life. Jesus tells this story to a group of people. Um, he says, sorry, i got to find it. Jesus told this parable, this story, to certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous and who looked on everyone else with disgust. Two people went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed about himself with these words. God, I thank you that I'm not like everyone else, crooks, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of everything I receive. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He couldn't even lift his eyes to look toward Jesus. Rather, he struck his chest and he said, God, show mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this person went down to his home justified rather than the Pharisee. All who lift themselves up will be brought low, 
and those who make themselves low will be lifted up. Jesus did a lot of teaching by telling stories. This was a story that Jesus told to people who were longing for more significance and meaning and purpose on the journey, and they thought they could do it by being more perfect and more committed to God than anyone else. Did y'all hear that first verse? Who did Jesus tell this to? To certain people who had convinced themselves that they were righteous, that they did everything perfect, and they looked on everyone else with disgust. There were these people who thought that they, if they just did step by step by step what their religion told them, if they get up early, if they read, if they pray, if they fast, don't eat, that doing these things step by step by step would surely give meaning and significance to their lives. But they started to follow Jesus because these things weren't actually answering a deeper longing in their life, this deeper longing for significance and purpose. See, they'd been told all their lives that doing your life this way, living your life this way, will give your heart joy and peace and all the things that you want, but, but they, they feel like their heart is still empty. Have you ever done that? Like you've went through all the motions, you've done everything people told you, but your heart still feels empty? And then there's this tax collector who's been ripping people off for years. He thought about himself before anyone else. He probably didn't ever pray. And in the heart of everyone else, he's the very last person that we think has anything in life figured out. This guy, he wouldn't even come close to the temple. He wouldn't even get near it. He wouldn't even look up at the sky towards God because he felt so worthless and so terrible. He knew, he knew in his heart where he stood. And he took his two fists and he put them against his heart and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And this is what I think he meant by those words. God, for years, I thought if I kept, if I kept chasing that dollar, it would eventually give me meaning and purpose. I thought that once I got enough money, right, my heart would be content. But I was wrong, God, and I'm sorry. Please have mercy on me. We all think of things that are going to fill up our hearts, right? The tax collector thinks it's money. The Pharisee thinks it's by doing everything step by step that he's supposed to do. And Jesus says, the person who's justified, the person who's beginning to find meaning in their lives and in their heart, the person who's finding freedom to live with purpose and significance, the tax collector is that person. He went home free. He went home not with a heart that was burdened about how to get more, he went home not with a heart that was burdened with how in the world he was going to keep going and going and going, but a heart that was free to care about the things that really mattered. And he got that heart from God, from admitting that what he thought would bring him peace and joy and significance wasn't actually doing that. But a journey of following Jesus and giving his heart to God, that could start to produce some meaning and some significance to let his heart live freely. When we lived in Nashville, Tennessee, Chris and I felt a little bit like the Pharisee. We both worked in ministry as pastors at churches. We prayed. We even fasted sometimes. We spoke on Sunday mornings. We gave faithfully to the church financially. We followed health podcasts. We ran. We lifted. We ate vegetarian. And at the end of the day, we felt like we were just going through the motions. We wanted something to just give us a little more significant and purpose, significance and purpose on the journey that we were on. Our hearts were craving. They were like longing for something deeper. So I began visiting my friend Nick who lived on death row in the prison in Nashville, Tennessee. And Chris applied for a job coaching football 
with the local high school in East Nashville. Sorry, I laughed. It was a good job. We loved it. Um, but suddenly, Chris was getting home every night at 8 o'clock. And every Thursday and Friday night, Chris and I were on the football field. Well, Chris was on the football field. I was on the stands. Chris was coaching. I was cheering. On Saturday mornings, I was home drinking coffee, reading my book, and Chris was breaking down film and coming up with next week's game plan. Um, before Chris and I were married, I knew that his heart skipped a beat for football. I, the guy loves football more than anything else in the world. He loves Jesus, Steve Spurrier, Danny Warfel, Tim Tebow, and then me. It was in that order. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was football, Steve Spurrier, then me, then Danny Warfel and Tim Tebow. I'm just kidding. Um, I knew that he was going to love coaching high school football, but this coaching at this particular high school that he was in in high school put him in a different environment than he'd ever been in in his entire life. Most of his, most of his players lived, um, stayed in public housing. Um, they were uncertain of where, some of them were uncertain where they would even go that night to spend the night. These young men got angry really easy, um, and they, they just brought a fire that I, I just have never seen before, and I was like, ooh, Chris is going to go real, this is going to really work out well, and I, I would work out my evening runs, um, I would run when I got home from work, and I would make sure to get to run by the football field, and I would watch um, Chris just absolutely thrive at coaching these guys, like they were loving him, he was loving them, the team was doing, was doing fairly well, but he was just, it was an amazing experience to watch him thrive um, in that and that experience and watch those boys just get better and better and better. Um, part of being a high school coach in East Nashville also meant that on the Saturdays you weren't breaking down film. In the fall, you were driving the boys to their recruiting visits at different colleges. So they would call up, and Chris and I would take the boys to the University of Memphis, to the University of Tennessee. Chris got to go to Florida one weekend. Um, but we got to, so we got to take some pretty cool trips. I enjoyed these, these trips. It was my favorite part, honestly, about Chris. Um, coaching football was taking these young men and, and showing them these colleges and, and them seeing these, these, just seeing themselves in a place where they hadn't seen themselves before. It was remarkable, remarkable to get to be a part of that experience. One Saturday when we were headed to the University of Memphis, so we were driving from Nashville to Memphis really early, the boys slept all the way from Memphis to Nashville because it was Saturday. They played football Friday night before, so they slept the three-hour drive to Memphis. We did the college visit, but we were driving back, and they had a little more energy, so I was, like, asking them 20 questions. Um, Chris was like, leave them alone, Erica. They don't want to talk to you. Um, but I, kept, I just kept, you know, trying to keep conversation going. And I, re I remember turning around and asking Jay Sean. I said, Jay Sean, what do you really think about Coach Allen? And Jay Sean said, well, if you want to make Coach Allen happy, just do exactly what he says. And if you want to make him really mad, don't do what he says. <laughs> and I was like, yep, <laughs> that sounds like Chris. And then Jay Sean said, Mama Allen, they called me Mama Allen. Um, I don't know why they did, but they called me that. Um, he, he said, Mama Allen, my, my whole life, every single coach has just yelled at me. They thought that's how they would get me to do, do well. They just yelled at me. But Coach Allen has never, ever yelled at me. And it's not because he doesn't care. It's because he cares about our hearts. And he, hit his, he, he like touched his chest when he said that. Mama Allen, Coach Allen cares about our hearts. And I was so proud of Coach Allen that day because he had come home telling me all kinds of situations that these boys were facing. They were even not always super respectful and happy on the field. And Chris stayed with them because he believed in something bigger than football. And it said, 
football was a way to help those bo- get to those boys' hearts. He prayed harder that season than I have ever seen him pray in his life. He prayed for those boys every day. And, and he, he, he did good. He, they won. They won a championship one year. Um, but he knew that when football was gone, that what was going to be left of those boys was their hearts. And it had to be focused on the right thing. Chris recognized what Jesus teaches us in this story. Just going through the motions keeps you close to the things that you love. But if your heart's not in it, it's not going to make much of a difference. These boys could just go through the motion of football practice, lifting and games, but that wasn't going to be enough. Something had to get to their heart. So I asked Coach Allen, Chris, to come up here this morning and talk to us about how to have hearts that are focused and content on the things that matter. I let him bring his whiteboard too. <laughs> so uh, one of the, the first things uh, we do in, in football, especially with working with uh, Jay Sean. Jay Sean was my, my quarterback when I coached the, the freshman team. Um, and now Jay Sean will be going to the University of Memphis actually starting next fall. Um, so I'm really excited he'll get to play uh, South Florida here this year and get to see him. Uh, so one of the first things we do, is we do a lot of classwork, uh, classroom work in, uh, in terms of uh, working on the board. And so we go over what's called formations. There, there's two parts really to a play, the formation and then there's the play. Um, so the formation just really just tells you just a bunch of circles on a field telling you where you are in relation to everyone else and the field itself. Okay. Yeah, lots of things going on behind me. I like it. <laughs> and, the, and the formation only gets you so far. This was kind of our base formation, just double slot. I was the crazy coach that had the, the headphone on on the sideline, and our, our offensive coordinator would, would call in the play, and then I would start going through signals. So we had really fancy signals, so double slots, like, like you're pulling two slot machines. There you go. Now, you, now you're learning things here. And so the next thing I would signal in after I would signal in the, what the formation would be was, is actually what the play is. And so play, a play is just essentially just fancy arrows. And this was one, probably one of our base plays. Um, it was called, uh, it's called Chevron. It's, it's, it's called a snag concept. Uh, and so we're really just isolating this outside linebacker. And there's just arrows, arrows and dots. And when you start to look at this story Eraser. I'll go old school here, like a teacher, covered in. When you look at this story of the Pharisee and the tax collector, at the center of this story really is the, the heart of God. And when we hear about the, the Pharisee, a person that fasted twice a week, gave a 10, 10% of his income this guy was, was a holy dude. It was a guy that we would want to listen to, that we would respect. He seemed deeply about God. And we put him on the, the chart. We think he's pretty close to God. I mean, I, I have to say, in all honesty, Eric and I, we tithe, but we do not <laughs> fast twice a week. <laughs> And I'm not counting times where you just get too busy and you skip lunch. We definitely do not do this. He seems super close to God. And then we think about the tax collector. He was publicly labeled a sinner. 
He was far away from God. Just by his own vocation, he was not allowed in worship. He was far away from God. And they're dots. Where do you think your dot might be? When I, when I think of people, I would, I would imagine that the, the Pope is, is pretty close to the heart of God. Um, since Erica got some Carolina jokes, I think Coach K is pretty close to the heart of God. No, we're not. I hear he goes to church every week. <laughs> that is not allowed. <laughs> I feel like my, my grandmother is pretty close to the heart of God. I'll give Erica a close one, too. <laughs> you may go for that. I don't know. I think there's some others of us that might feel like that, that tax collector, far from God, that we're not worthy. Because if you start asking around, we might be like that tax collector. People know about us. The first thing that someone would tell you about me might be my affair. It might be my bankruptcy, my brokenness, my marriage. And it's keeping me from God. But the thing is, just like a football play, we're not just dots. Because we like to think we're just dots. We like to compare our dots. We like to compare how close we are to other dots. <coughs> well, I may not be that close to God, but at least I'm not over here. And we get a sense of pride from that. Or we find ourselves stuck over here, and we believe the lie that God wants nothing to do with us. But we're not just dots. We're not just dots. We also have arrows. And you see, the Pharisee's arrow is moving away from God. He's full of awe, but he's full of awe of himself. He's prideful. He's confident in in what he's doing. And his heart is moving away from God. And the tax collector, the tax collector is saying, I know I'm a sinner, God. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And his heart is breaking open and just running, running closer to Jesus, to that heart of God. So yes, where's your dot? But where's your arrow pointing? Where's your arrow heading? We have jobs and routines and plans. We try to follow these, trying to, you know, we go through the motions every day. Our arrows are going all over the place. But where is your real arrow? Where is your heart headed? We're all looking for deeper significance, for purpose. And the deeper issue is our heart. Jay Sean, who we took on that trip to the University of Memphis, and he's headed there on a full tuition scholarship in the fall. Colleges all over the nation were looking at him his sophomore year. And I sat on the stands and I watched a freshman hand him water and I watched him go over and hug the kid and say thank you. Thank you for standing on this sideline. It was a rough season that year. 
But I texted him one night after a game, and I said, I saw you thank that freshman, and I watched you be a leader tonight. I'm proud of you. And he texted me back, and he says, Coach says work on my heart. We don't have the best team this year, and I know that. But this can be a great season anyway. I just got to get my heart right. Jayshon could have went through that season and just been mad because they didn't have the perfect things in place. Just wait to get a better quarterback and put him at wide receiver where he needed to be anyway. Um, and he knew that was going to happen eventually. He could have went through the motions that year. But instead, he focused on his heart, even in the tough season. Coach Smith made his players point to the person who passed in the ball before they, before they scored. Give them thanks. Thank the passer. There is something about in the moment when you can take all the glory for what's going on, when you look at someone else or you point to someone else or you point to God and you let them have the glory and the thanks. Jesus said, those who humble themselves will be lifted up. They will be exalted. If your heart cares only about going through the motions of this journey to find significance and meaning, you'll never find it. That deep longing is satisfied by a heart that is focused on and moving towards God. Recognizing that true meaning and purpose comes from a heart seeking God and recognizing our need for God. And our hearts move close to God moment by moment by moment. It's a decision that we're going to have to make this, this very week. This week, you're going to have a chance to keep going through the motions, hoping to find some significance and meaning. You're going to have an opportunity to take all the credit for something that goes really well this week. You all are incredible people. I know you. You're going to get credit for something amazing this week. But what does it look like this week during your journey to point to someone else who's helped you get there? What does it look like this week for your heart to point people towards God? What does it look like to have a heart that's moving toward God and caring about other people. What does it look like this very week for your heart to point people to God and to long and seek after moving in the direction of God? What does that look like for you this week? Will you pray with me? Gracious and loving God, we come here in all kinds of ways. Our dots are all over the map. Some of us are working hard to be close to your heart, God. And, and we just... We know we're not there. Some of us know that we're not even close to your heart, God. And we just pray this morning that in this moment, our hearts will focus on you. That our hearts will be moving towards you, God. We pray for meaning and significance on this journey. And that you use us this week to point to people who helped us get to where we are. And most of all, God, we pray that, that this week we'll take some time to thank you for the many blessings that you have given us in our lives. Amen.